Lock the Door by Matt Demersky. I had the strangest roommate in my freshman year of college. Despite being otherwise normal and even a bit shy, Eddie would ever so often become frantically possessed by a sudden overwhelming need to lock the door. It didn't matter which door either. Wherever he was, when the fit came upon him, he would leap up, run to the closest entrance, and lock it. People who stood in his way were screamed at. Anyone who tried to stop him would get attacked. He became a ranting, sweaty madman until his mysterious sense of vulnerability passed. But the moment it was gone, he would apologize profusely, sink timidly into himself, and scurry away embarrassed. For that reason, it was hard to hate him. But it became a little easier to despise him each time I returned home to find myself locked out. Similarly, each time I brought him to a party and he had one of his episodes, I inevitably lost potential romantic interests and friends because I was roommates with that Eddie guy. Halfway through the year, after the third almost-girlfriend ghosted me because he scared the shit out of her, I put in for a dorm room transfer and washed my hands of the poor guy. That was almost seven years ago now, so when Eddie messaged me on social media and said he was in town and had run into some travel issues, I decided to give him another shot. I'd always sort of felt bad about how I treated him in the end. So, I drove half an hour out to his broken down car and picked him up around one in the morning on a normal Wednesday night three weeks ago. I remember pulling up to the edge of a high cliffside road to see a skinny silhouette waving at me. He was leaner than I remembered and somewhat more in shape. My headlights illuminated him fully. I saw his face glisten and I laughed. That was Eddie, all right. Sweat was sort of his hallmark. He hefted a duffel bag and ran up to my passenger side before fiddling with the door handle repeatedly. Don't pull it when I'm unlocking it, I told him. He waited a tick. I pushed the button and he tried the handle at the same time. Oops. Wait, I said again, hitting unlock as I did so. Okay, now. He finally got the door open and clambered in with a nervous laugh. <laughs> uh, sorry, man. His long legs folded up a bit as he got situated, and I could see his exposed ankles. Thanks for picking me up. I shrugged. It's no problem at all. Do you know what's wrong with it? Yeah, alternator's been having trouble. I think the cold weather finally did her in. Cool. <clears throat> I gave a slight cough to clear my throat, and we drove in awkward silence until he brought up a joke from the past. Just like that, we slipped into that first semester seven years ago, with all its new experiences, hilarious misadventures, and surprise pressures. By the time we'd reached my place, I remembered the good things about him, and I was glad I decided to help him out. On the way in, I pointed to the couch. That's probably the best spot in the apartment. Trying to save money these days, so the place is pretty small. You rent these days, huh? He asked before placing his duffel bag down and sitting carefully on the couch to evaluate its softness. This'll do fine. I can't thank you enough. I'll get out of your hair in the morning as soon as the repair shop's open. It's no problem at all, Eddie. Uh, actually, I go by Ed now. It's good for him. He'd definitely grown as a person from the socially fearful outcast I remembered. I grinned. Huh. And no problem at all, Ed. 
I went to bed back in my room without a single worry. It seemed like his issues had been resolved by maturity or medication, and who was I to judge someone for being trouble beyond their control? That was in the past. Of course, I was completely wrong. Around four in the morning, I awoke and got up to get a glass of water from the kitchen. I knew my own apartment, so my footsteps were pretty much silent, but Eddie still sighed and stared on the couch as if something was bothering him. I stood by the fridge, glass in hand as he whimpered, struggled, and then leapt up. In a mad, terrified dash, he ran to my front door and slammed the deadbolt. He gave out a deep breath of relief and remained there with his head down while I tried to figure out the best way to let him know I was present. Well, if he was having a fit, there was really no good way to do this. Ed? He seized up mightily, gasped in as much air as his lungs could hold, and then slowly turned around. His face was obscured in dimness, since the only light came from various red or green pinpoints on the television and microwave, but I could tell he was sweating profusely. After a long moment, he managed to breathe again. Finally, he said, Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. Yeah. I put my glass down on the counter. You alright, dude? He meant his laugh to sound nonchalant, but it just came out as nervous and high-strung. <laughs> uh, same old, same old. You know how it is? I went around the counter and approached them. He moved back a few steps and I touched the door. This is a safe neighborhood, man. There's nothing to worry about. He nodded awkwardly. Unsure I believed his calmness, I moved my hand at the deadbolt. I wanted to make sure he wasn't going to get weird while I was asleep if I went back to bed. He made a sudden half-hearted leap toward me, hand out. Don't. At that moment, I was starting to remember the times I'd seen him attack people during an episode. There's nothing out there. I gripped the deadbolt to turn it back toward me, but a very slight shadow moved somewhere in my vision. What the hell? No, it couldn't be. Reacting rapidly, I put my eye to the peephole. My brain made sense of the curved panorama just in time to see a sliver of a silhouette disappear along the sidewalk to the left. Eddie moved closer, bringing the smell of his panicked sweat with him. Did you see something? No, I lied. I kept staring out through the peephole, watching the quiet night in my otherwise unremarkable neighborhood. The asphalt glimmered darkly under the stars, while distant lampposts cast long shadows across grass. Remind me again what makes you suddenly want to lock the door? Now that I wasn't actively trying to unlock it, he seemed slightly less manic. I never told you, because I thought you were starting to hate me, but... When I was eight years old, I had a sudden feeling that I should lock the door. I didn't, and, uh, he shivered. Some men broke in a moment later and robbed us. 
I frowned at his glistening, shadowed face. Jesus, was, was anyone hurt? He nodded between audible breaths. My mom? Another three breaths passed in otherwise silent darkness. She, uh... She didn't make it. I didn't know what else to say. Just... Damn. No wonder. No wonder? Before I could elaborate, the sound of something skittering outside reached us. He turned and listened in one rapid motion like a startled animal, and I had to admit, I was none too calm either. Still, I couldn't risk amping up his anxiety. I did want to go to sleep again at some point. He whispered, Where was that? sounded like it came from the back. I whispered too. I'm sure it's nothing. Let's go. I led the way and we crept through my apartment. I made sure to mimic my steps, but he was still louder than me and I nearly winced at every creak. By the time we entered my bedroom and reached a rear window, my nerves were raw. The window was fitted with stops that prevented it opening all the way. I usually left it open for the breeze, even in the winter. We sat in total darkness in front of that thin rectangle of cool air, looking and listening. We sought any sign of what had made that noise. Have you ever actually listened to the sounds of the city at night? What I'd gotten used to as silence was actually anything but. Soft wind stirred a rustling in the nearby bushes. A train blew a horn in the unknown distance. A dog barked twice. Briefly, an ambulance siren trekked across the horizon. Under it all, a constant low, haunting wail emanated across the world from the nearby highway. I'd always hated that noise whenever I'd accidentally become aware of it, because I thought it sounded like a thousand ghosts screaming from very far away, but I wasn't about to tell Eddie that. It was about that time that my gaze landed upon something among the trees. When I'd first seen the closely bunched collection of white pinpoints, I'd assumed they were reflections from somewhere. Now, though, as I watched them carefully, I was nearly certain I was seeing them rotate upward. It was as if something was spinning a wheel of lights whose narrow side was facing us. From the size and distance, the wheel must have been two or three feet in diameter. I whispered, What is that? After finding it with help from my pointing finger, Eddie's stare deepened. I've never seen anything like that. What could that possibly be? I couldn't make sense of it. While I watched, it grew slightly dimmer, then slightly brighter. It's... Definitely casting light all around it. I, I think I saw some leaves above it. Is it changing? Eddie clutched to my wrist as he stared at those strange upwheeling lights. Is it getting bigger? I couldn't be sure, but how could it be getting bigger unless jumping up? I placed my fingers on either side of the window and brought it down swiftly and quietly. And I turned the latch and locked it before pulling the nearby cord and sliding the blinds down. 
whatever it is, we're secure in here. We'll be fine. It's probably just some kids playing with light toys or something. He sighed and opened his mouth to speak, but a visible change came over the silhouetted contours of his head. An instant later, he leapt over and slammed my bedroom door shut. The boom echoed loudly in my ears. I demanded to know what he was doing as he locked my door. And he turned around and put his back to it. I could tell he was wild-eyed from the way he whispered. Be quiet. It's in your apartment. The adrenaline spike from the slammed door made me a little angrier than I'd wanted to be. What? What's in my apartment? His frantic whisper was nearly a hiss. I don't know. I just know that we have to keep this door locked. I was fuming, but if I spoke, I would have said something I regretted, so we stood there in the dark for a solid few minutes. I began to calm down as those minutes passed, and once I was in control again, I opened my mouth to whisper. Hey, I'm sorry, I... The floor creaked outside my bedroom. I froze. Eddie backed away from the door and faced it alongside me. It was nothing but a dark rectangle in front of us, but I stared at it for any hint of motion or change. The crazy thing was, I had no idea what I was even looking for or listening for. What could possibly have been out there? Not only had we left the front door locked, there had been no sound of entry, forced or otherwise. If there was someone or something out there, how had they gotten in? Dim light began to move across the walls of my room, and I waited for the sound of a passing car. But none came. As we watched the door, brighter light began to roll upward around us, again as if someone was spinning some sort of wheel. It didn't take long for us to realize that whatever we'd seen in the distance outside was growing closer to my window. Beyond the blinds, something was coming nearer, but neither of us dared look away from my bedroom door for even an instant. And then I saw it. Between moving lines of shadow and light, I could have sworn my door handle had changed angles. I backed away. A look at the blinds showed definite lights spinning closer as if they were right outside the window and about to come up against it. Grabbing Eddie by the shoulder, I pulled him with me into my tiny one-person bathroom. He closed and locked the door the instant we were inside. My heart was hammering in my chest to the point of actual pain. Grunting my whisper, I asked, What the hell is happening? He shook his head. I have no idea. Are you sure? I asked him, squeezing his wrist. This all started with that robbery and attack on your mom, right? No, he whispered back. My bathroom door was flushed to the outside carpet, but hints of rotating light began to appear beneath, as if that insane, impossible wheel had somehow entered my room without opening or breaking the window. None of this made sense. It has to be you somehow. No. It has to be. I shook him violently. Is your fear making it real? Is something after you? You don't understand. He whimpered. I didn't finish the story. It didn't start with that incident. I'd been getting the urge to lock doors for years before that. 
first time I didn't, that's when they came. I couldn't understand exactly what he meant. The robbers? He shook his head. Oh, God. They weren't robbers, were they? He shook his head again. My voice dropped to a razor hiss. What is out there, Eddie? All he could say was, They want in. Something about the way he said it finally made me understand. It's not about the bathroom door, is it? I looked out through it, thinking of my bedroom door and my apartment door beyond that. It's not about the literal entrance of the room you're in. The rotating light below began intensifying as whatever was out there approached our hiding spot. His panicked grip on my hands told me I was right. Then why do you lock real doors, Eddie? I shook him until he looked at me despite his fear. Is it a metaphor? Does it make you feel better? Does it close them off somehow? Why isn't it working this time? He began to cry, sending mixed drops of tears and sweat onto my forearms. I couldn't take it anymore. I'm tired of the constant struggle. The high cliffside curve where I'd picked him up flashed through my mind as clear as crystal, and the fear that had been building since the moment I saw him wake suddenly left me. He'd gone to that cliff for a reason, and he'd probably had second thoughts as he stood there alone and dark, completely calm, I asked. Your car didn't break down, did it? He shook his head. You messaged everyone, didn't you? He nodded. I was the only one that responded. He rocked back and forth in front of me. I just couldn't take it anymore. They want in. They're always out there. They want in. I always lock them out, but they never stop. I'm tired of being terrified every minute of every day. Air began moving under the doors. The lights reached peak intensity. Whatever it was, it was almost upon us. There's nowhere to go, Eddie. Let's open that door. Maybe you're constantly terrified because they want you that way. Let's face them. Let's be unafraid. It might just work. He didn't respond, but I dragged him to his feet. I'd never wanted to do anything less in my entire life, but there was nowhere else to go. With a firm grip on his wrists, I reached forward with my free hand, unlocked the door, and flung it open. If you believe me, that is not the point. But I'll tell you what I saw. The lights... The lights were eyes. They were bright enough to obscure the grotesque, moving body beneath. I still can't understand how it was spinning like that. Snake-like curves connected things in shadow. Every blazing pinpoint swung up, flashed us with images of hatred and fear, paranoia. And then it continued past, moving on too fast to process. That was the thing. The images were lies. My girlfriend was cheating on me. My teachers at school had thought of me as a failure. My boss hated me and only put up with me because he hadn't found my replacement yet. But each individual lie raced past too quickly to pick apart and resist. 
I knew they weren't true, but they just kept coming. At the heart of this creature, I sensed a hunger for fear. I kicked a wide, grasping mouth away and jerked Eddie out with me, getting a few feet past whatever the hell that thing was. It turned toward us again as I flung the bedroom door open. I'd been right about the door handle turning, that much I knew in an instant. The madly spinning shadows and light failed to illuminate the beast that lay beyond that door. Immediately I knew the thing behind us was just a servant to this, because this was so, so, so much worse. The only thing I truly registered was a melted face. Its misshapen gaze seized the beating heart muscles in my chest and filled me with absolute terror, as if it had the power to reach inside me and dredge out all the blackness and animal fear in the corners of my human soul. I knew these things didn't want in my apartment or my bedroom. It wasn't so simple as that. They wanted into our world, and Eddie was some sort of conduit for that nightmarish goal. He always had been. I had the knife-keen, vicious sense that I needed to kill him immediately. But maybe that urge came from the emotions those creatures were giving off. As the sludge specter with the melted face began a rising scream that threatened to deafen me, I did what I had to do. I grabbed the heavy lamp from my nightstand and smashed my window clean through. I threw Eddie out a moment after and then pulled my arm from a burning grip of caustic acid to escape. I could only lay on the ground screaming as Eddie did the rest by dragging me away from that place. That was three weeks ago. The burn from the grasping hand of that sludge creature refused to heal. The doctors at the emergency room couldn't make heads or tails of it. Something had burned the shape of a melted hand around my forearm and continued to burn as they studied it. They could find no acid, no catalyst, no heat. Eventually they had to release me. Of course, their lack of understanding didn't lessen the hefty medical bill any. I parted from Eddie the next day, telling him to stay strong and remain unafraid. We'd beaten the forces of hatred and paranoia personified and escaped with our lives by charging through rather than hiding. He seemed unconvinced and repeatedly said that we hadn't done anything, that I'd dragged him out of there and that without me, he didn't know if he could do it. But I have a life to live, I told him. Gotta pay off that ER bill, find a new place. He understood, or at least he said that he did. Today I saw Eddie again. He didn't know I was there because it was just a chance encounter on a city street. He was in a bar watching a television above and drinking a beer. I stood outside and watched him through the window for a moment, awed at the change. He was sitting with new friends. He was wry, confident, and completely ignoring the door of the bar instead of nervously looking at the entrance every so often. It was such a positive change that I actually went inside with a smile. But I stopped, about ten feet from behind him as, over the noise of the bar television above, I began to hear what he was talking about. 
His words floated in the air with a nearly perceptible stench. Sludge dripped from the back of his sentences, burning the ears of those near his group. His new friends agreed, happily and haughtily, replying noxiously in kind. A disgruntled customer nudged me as he passed. Ignore those assholes. I turned away with misting eyes and walked out into the chill night. I hadn't saved Eddie at all. He'd found refuge not in standing up to those creatures, but by going down a path I hadn't even considered. I looked through the window of that bar one last time. The misshapen creature that had burned me with its touch grinned back from the shadowed corners behind the television. It had found the entry into our world that it had craved for so long. I'd unlocked the door, but it was Eddie that had let them in. Yesterday morning, I found bloody teeth in my pocket by Brandon Faircloth. I woke up early yesterday because of banging noises from next door. I figured that my neighbor, Jeff, must be doing some kind of renovation, and staring up at the water-stained crack in my ceiling, I found myself pondering if he was doing the work himself and how much he might charge to do some repairs over here if he was. Pushing the thought away, I began shuffling to the bathroom while trying to crawl out of the sleep fog permeating my brain. When I was done, I pulled on some jeans that were draped over the only chair in my bedroom. Pushing my hands to the front pockets of the jeans, my left hand hit something hard and sticky feeling. When I pulled my hand out, I was holding a handful of broken, bloody teeth. I screamed and raked them off my palm onto the floor, going to wash my hands before coming back to examine them. There were eight teeth, and judging by their size and condition, they were from a variety of people. At least two of them looked like they came from children. I could hardly breathe. I had no idea or memory of where those teeth had come from. I checked the house for signs of a break-in, but there was none. I only had a handful of furniture and some clothes, so I was a poor target for a burglary, and I was new enough to town that I doubted I developed a stalker already. Still, I was terrified. I racked my brain for any memory of how they could have gotten there or anything I might have done to hurt someone. I didn't even know anyone yet other than my neighbor Jeff, and I couldn't imagine one person, much less multiple people, doing something bad enough that I would want to hurt them like that anyway. I didn't have internet yet, and when I tried my phone, I got an automated message saying it had not been linked to a cellular account. It was weird. I went outside to get in my car, but halfway down the walk to where it was parked, I detoured on impulse and went up to Jeff's house. It was a much larger and much nicer house than mine, and in much better condition, and that thought reminded me to ask if he did house repair work. If nothing else, it would be a good excuse to justify coming over to ask him my more pressing questions. When Jeff opened the door, I felt a small thrill at seeing him. He was handsome with a face that was just worn enough to be interesting and a soft, deep voice that always sounded kind. He smiled when he saw me and was about to say something when I blurted out my cover question. Do you do housework? 
I mean, like, house repairs. Laughing, he looked back at his house, which looked very well decorated and clean, despite whatever construction might be going on in there. I found myself idly wondering if he had a girlfriend before pulling myself back to focus on his response. <sighs> well, I guess, if you can call it that. I can do some basic stuff. Why, did you need something fixed over there? He shifted his gaze to my house, his face looking concerned. Uh, yeah, maybe. Just a few small things if you're interested in sometime. I'd pay you, of course, but I'm still looking for work, so I may have to do the repairs a little bit at a time. <laughs> oh, I'm not worried about the money. Just figure out what you need done over there and let me know. Turning back to me, Jeff had a slight frown. Are you okay over there? Comfortable enough? It seemed an odd question, but he looked like he was legitimately worried, so I answered, Yeah, I'm okay. Still settling in, but I'm glad to have a good neighbor at least. He studied me for a minute before nodding. You want to come inside? My heart sped up again slightly, but I shook my head. I'd like to, but another time. I'm going to the library right now. I thought he was going to say something else, but instead, he just nodded and said he'd see me later then. To come by whenever I wanted. Then, with one last look that almost seemed sad, he went to shut the door. Hold, hold on, Jeff. I was going to ask you something else, too. He opened the door back up. Sure, what's up? Well... Have you noticed me acting weird in the last day or so? I know you don't know me well, but I was wondering if you saw me doing anything out of the ordinary lately. Instead of laughing or acting surprised, he just shook his head. Uh, no, I, I can't say I have. I haven't seen you since yesterday, but you seemed fine then. He paused. You sure you don't want me to come in? Maybe if something's wrong, I can help smiled, feeling embarrassed. Later, maybe. I need to get some stuff done first. He nodded, and after saying goodbye again, he shut the door. I considered whether or not I should have told him about the teeth, but what good would it have done? I think he would have told me if he knew anything about it. And in the unlikely event that he was the one that put them in my jeans, it wasn't like he was just going to tell me because I asked. I felt... Confused and frustrated by my confusion as I walked to my car, and my time at the library that morning did nothing to help my mood. I tried looking up everything I could think of. Weird crimes where people left teeth behind. Stalkers or serial killers that took or hid teeth. Even myths and legends of supernatural creatures that could explain having a pocket full of ruined, sticky molars and incisors. Nothing really fit, and after a couple of hours of looking, I was growing increasingly convinced that I was either going crazy, or had just been fooled by a very vivid dream. Driving back home, I decided on a plan. I would go back to my house and see if the T4 were actually still there. If they weren't, I'd chalk it up to a nightmare and just keep an eye out for future weirdness. If they were, I was going to take a picture and call the police. Despite my desperate hoping and praying on my trip back across town, when I got home, I saw the teeth lying on the bedroom floor like discarded game pieces to some macabre board game. 
My stomach dropped at the sight, and I started trying to come up with excuses as to why I shouldn't tell anyone and just flush them or something. And no. This was serious, and I needed help. The authorities needed to be notified. Trying to find my resolve, I bent down and took two pictures of the teeth from different angles with my largely useless cell phone. The pictures were for the police, but more so they were for Jeff, so I could short-circuit any questions he might have when I asked to use his phone. I didn't want to spend 20 minutes of politely resisting his attempts to make me feel better or explain what I'd found. A picture was worth a thousand words. I had a momentary panicked thought that he might not be home, but then I realized that I could hear new noises coming from his house. This time more of a scraping and a thud than rhythmic banging. Whatever he was doing, he was hard at it, but he just had to take a break for a minute until I could get the police to come. When I went back to his door, he opened it right away. He was sweaty and looked tired, but he smiled when he saw me. This time when he invited me in, I accepted. Moving into the foyer and then into the living room, I had the strangest feeling of familiarity. I didn't remember ever having been in his house before, but I would turn and know where I was before it actually passed into my view. When I sat on the large sofa in front of the fireplace, I unconsciously gripped the arm as though anticipating the deep sink of the sofa cushion before I actually sank down, as though I had sat there many times before. Even the smells of the place, the room itself, the scent of food cooking in the adjacent kitchen, Jeff himself, it all seemed so known and so right. I realized I was looking around with something close to wonder, and I forced myself to focus back on Jeff, who was studying me intently, his face neutral. I pulled up my photo gallery app and awkwardly thrust the phone toward him. Look at this. I found this in... I realized with a mixture of embarrassment and dim horror that I was still wearing the same jeans I'd found the teeth in. Who does that? Why hadn't I thought to change? In my house. I found these bloody teeth in my house this morning. His eyes widened as he looked at the first picture and swiped to the second. Where did you find these? I, I mean, where in the house? Fuck. Well, I was going to have to tell the police anyway. In my jeans. In, in the pocket. I swear I have no idea how they got there. I don't know who would do this or why, and I... I trailed off as Jeff reached forward and took my hand. I know why. I know we agreed I wouldn't say anything, but I can't watch you like this anymore. He was staring at me with tears in his eyes, and I felt a stirring of new emotion as I looked at him and squeezed his hand. And then the banging started again. Jeff stood up, his expression darkening. Son of a motherfucker, can't give us a fucking moment's peace. He was stalking out of the living room toward the back of the house when I heard a cracking sound like wood splintering, followed by a loud thud. I stood up and started out the hall myself. And that's when I ran into the naked, bloody man barreling toward the front door. Cass, stop him! That wasn't my name, but I felt myself responding to it nonetheless. 
With a swiftness and certainty of body that my mind didn't share, I shoved the man back. He stumbled, his eyes widening as he looked at me. He began to let out a strange, horrible wail, his mouth wet and wide as he screamed, and for a moment he seemed unsure whether to go backward to where Jeff was or keep heading toward me in the front door. This was all the time it took for me to grab a hammer from the hallway table and bring it across his face. The man was a good foot taller than me, and the blow sent his head up and back at a sharp angle as I heard his jaw crack. Instead of feeling horrified, I felt a strange combination of joy and pride at what I had done. When the man tumbled back to the floor, he made a few more mewling sounds of fear and pain, his animal o's of panicked breathing having turned into lopsided ovals with his shattered jaw. Still, I could see well enough into his mouth to see the teethless gums and tongueless root that lived there. I looked at Jeff, who was walking toward me, beaming. Great job, sweetie. Really, great job. I'm sorry, I think I didn't secure him well enough when you rang the door the first time. He paused as he reached the man, giving him a kick in the head that sent him the rest of the way into unconsciousness. Looking up at me, his eyes were worried again. Are you okay? Do you remember now? I realized I did. Or at least parts. Sitting the hammer back on the table, I folded my arms. I think. This is my house, isn't it? Our house? Jeff nodded, smiling wider. And we're married. We've been married for eight years? He chuckled. <laughs> Nine, last month, but close enough. What else? My name isn't June, is it? Is, is, it, is, it, is it Cassidy? Nodding, Jeff stepped around the man and touched my arm gently. That's right. June is actually your sister's name. Or it was. She died when you were ten. I frowned and nodded at the memory. He was telling the truth. And we... We have people we take, right? We have a special room where we help them? He gave my arm a squeeze. Exactly right. We help them by hurting them. I smiled a little at that. But there were still things I didn't understand. Why... Why was I over at that house? Jeff's eyes grew sad again as he looked in the direction of the house I'd woken up in that morning. That, well, we're trying to see if that works. He looked back at me. Honey, you're such a wonderful person. So tender-hearted, and we're helping people. You've convinced me of that without question, but it's not an easy thing to do. We have to hurt people so much, take so many lives, and sometimes it just seems to overwhelm you a little while. He sighed and rubbed his hand through his hair. About three years ago, I woke up one morning and you were gone. Not in the house, not a note or a sign of where you had went. You left your car and cell phone behind. His lips trembled as he went on. I, I was terrified. I searched for you for two days with no luck. You called me. You were... 200 miles away, and had just remembered who you were. 
I went and got you, and we backtracked your route to try and figure out where you'd gone and why. We found out that you'd walked to a bus station and traveled to the town where I'd picked you up. You were looking for work and calling yourself by your sister's name. I was feeling relief as my memories returned and his words were helping with that. It was like he was slowly turning on more lights in a vast room. But there were still patches of darkness and it scared me a little. Why did I do that? Did we figure it out? What's wrong with me? It's called a dissociative fugue. As best we can tell, either due to stress of what we do, or some other reason, maybe occasionally you just go away for a little while. The second time was last year, and it was easier to find you. The house next door wasn't occupied, and I found you sleeping there. You still thought you were June, but you kind of remembered me as your neighbor, Jeff. He laughed ruefully and went on. <laughs> it was weird, but we dealt with it. I got you to come over to visit, and after a few minutes here, you came back to yourself. We talked about it and took the chance you might go back to the house again if you knew it was available and it was separate from here. So we bought it, and you visited once a week, and I don't go over there often. What we do here, he gestured to the man at his feet, that doesn't ever go over there. We hoped it would be a safe haven when you needed it, and it's working. Well, pretty much at least. He stopped and looked apologetic. I know this is a lot. I smiled. It's okay. It helps. The man, a carpenter we caught working late and alone two states over last month, started to stir. We better get him back. Jeff nodded, and between us we started dragging him back to the inner chambers of the house. I woke up this morning to banging. Was it him? Jeff shook his head as he reached back to punch the keypad lock into the door. No, it was one of the girls. She pried off part of the wall padding on the outer wall. I don't know if she was trying to get help or break through the wall, but of course she didn't make much progress before I stopped her. Poor thing. He looked sheepish. Sorry it woke you, though. And I can't believe I didn't think about you accidentally carrying something over there with you. We were doing a shedding yesterday, and I guess you put some teeth in your pocket. A shedding, I remembered, was when we took one or more of our guests and stripped away parts of their body, be it hair and teeth or flesh and limbs. We found that periodically doing several at the same time was not only a time saver, but it maximized the fear and despair that was generated by them watching each other take part in the shedding. I now remembered slipping a few of the teeth into my pocket with the idea that they would make an interesting component of a craft project. Maybe even part of a baby rattle when the time was right. We were going down the short ramp to the main room now, but first we had to get through two more locked doors. At the last door, the man had roused enough to limply struggle, but I gave him a stern look and he settled down. I know it's not always true, but I like to think many of our guests come to see that what we're doing is for their own good. This room was the favorite in my house. 30 feet long, 20 feet wide, it had white tile floors and walls, though both the walls and ceilings had thick layers of heavy-duty padding like you'd find in padded cells at a mental institution. The padding was pricey but well worth it. They're made not just for taking away hard surfaces and sharp edges, they're excellent in soundproofing too.
All told, we had nine guests currently, though two of those would soon be past further help, it seemed. I saw the little girl he was talking about, Lisa, who'd been prying at the padding. She tried hiding her bloody fingers when we drugged the man by, and I gave her a smile and a wink. It was always a blessing to get one so young, before the world had a chance to put more obstacles in their way. I looked at the sigil I painted on the far end of the room. It reminded me of a child's drawing of a house with a downward arrow inside, but its power and significance were never lost on me when I saw it. We were doing such good work here. You feeling okay? No weirdness? Confusion? Jeff was easing the man over to a spot along the wall, but his eyes were on me. I might not should have pushed you to remember like I did. We talked about letting it play out like I was sleepwalking, right? I gave him a grin. I'm okay, I think, and I know it's hard on you when I get like that. Don't worry. You take good care of me. He secured the man to the railing bolted to the wall and stood again, stretching his back before coming over to me. He gave me a warm hug and I squeezed him back tightly, my heart close to bursting. We take good care of each other. We always will. We stood like that for a few seconds, our faces buried in the space between us. I felt so lucky. I have love and a purpose. I have... I pulled back from Jeff a little to look down the room to where that same little girl was tugging desperately at the chains, securing her to the wall railing. She really was a firecracker, wasn't she? Good for her. It was getting to be time for the girl's first shedding, and the strong-willed ones always benefited the most. Smiling to myself, I turned back and hugged Jeff again. I was home. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I think I did. I liked them both pretty well. Second one went a little off the rails there at the end, but it was an entertaining story nonetheless. As far as questions, I think the only one I'd really have would be, what would you do if you woke up and found teeth in your pocket? Would you immediately go to the police? Would you do what they did in the story? Would you look for some kind of explanation? Would you be worried about a stalker? Would you be worried about murderer, whatever. What would you do? It's kind of a wild, wacky question, but it's definitely an interesting thought. I personally would probably just go straight to the police. I don't think that's something I want to deal with, especially if it looks like they are uh, from different people. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> I'm just going to the police for that. Uh, let me know in the comment section below. I'm going to give a quick thank you to everyone on screen right now, all of our $5 patrons and members. You guys are really keeping the channel going right now. It's really, really appreciated. And um, everyone who stops by, listens to the stories, leaves a comment, likes, shares it with someone they think would like it, all that's greatly appreciated. I hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. Let me know what you do if you found teeth in your pocket down below. It's the craziest thing. Never thought I'd say that before. Um, and as always... Stay safe out there, and take care of everyone around you. Good night, everyone.